Shalom. Welcome to the Crimson Thread. I'm John Behrens, pastor of Restoration Messianic Fellowship in the Boulder, Longmont area of northern Colorado. This teaching was recorded in a live Midrashic setting. We've edited it for clarity, but you may notice some jumps where we've taken out inaudible comments and sidetracks. Enjoy the study. So we are still in Galatians, and we have made it all the way now to chapter 4, which what we'll start tonight. Do any of you get the Kerarite newsletter from Nehemia Gordon? I thought his newsletter was very good this month. Bears on what we're doing tonight, so I want to talk about it just a little bit. For those of you out in Tape Land and those of you who don't know who Nehemia is, he is a Kerarite Jew. Kerarite Jews are Jews, but they do not believe in rabbinic authority. They believe in basically scripture only. So they would be fundamentalists, if you will, in the Jewish sense. They don't, they don't subscribe to any of the oral Torah. And basically, if it's in scripture, they believe it and do it. If it's not in scripture, they don't. He is by trade a Middle Eastern language scholar. So what he does for a living is he studies Middle Eastern language documents and so forth. He worked on the Dead Sea Scroll Project, for example. As a result of that, he's gone through a lot of the New Testament in the course of what he does. But the, the point of the, his conversation was, in Judaism, whether it's of the Kerarite flavor or of some other flavor, there is room for lots and lots of different perspectives on Scripture. In other words, you'll have people in Judaism that will argue all sorts of very different positions from the same passage of Scripture, and at the end of the day, they all go off and eat bagels together, even though their discussion at the time may get really heated and really intense, they typically don't break fellowship over it. Whereas his uh, experience with Christianity is If you don't believe what we believe exactly the same way we believe it, then you are some kind of a heretic and we will not be in fellowship with you. And as we've been going through Galatians, one of the things that I have been hoping to try and get people out of is this Greek logical mindset that chops words and chops logic. And boy, if you don't chop the logic just the way my Bible teacher chopped it and you don't come up with, pick your doctrine, the rapture, deity of Christ, hundreds of hundreds of doctrines. And boy, if you don't see it just the way I see it, we don't have any fellowship. That's not a Hebrew way of doing things. So as we go through Galatians, it's real important to understand the baggage that most of the Sunday church comes with. The people that actually got the book given to them, the Hebrews, you know, those guys, they don't look on it that way. So if you come to it, and that's the way you look on it, and you're just dug in, and you know you start reaching for your Zippo every time somebody says something that doesn't agree with just exactly the way you see it, I will gently suggest that you're running with a different religion. And so as I go through this, I'm perfectly capable of using logic with the best of them, but don't get hung up on it, because it will ultimately lead you very astray. So Galatians chapter 4. Back it up to 3.20. And if you are Messiah's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Okay, so that's who we're, we're offspring of. And we'll talk about who we're heirs of in just a minute. 
And by the way, as you're feeling around in your Bible with your fingers, feel around and find Hebrews, because we'll be there. Chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. So, again, what it's saying is the heir, because of his birth position, because of his parents, is in fact the one who owns everything. But until he reaches the age of majority or accountability, and that varies by culture, until he reaches that point, he is not treated as if he were the owner. He is, in fact, treated as someone who gets to be ordered around. And, in fact, you'll have servants in the house who are older and more mature who will order around and discipline the son who will eventually be their master. Perfectly normal. And that's what he's saying here. Verse 2. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God set forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that were not, by nature, not gods. And now, who are those? Verse 8. Formerly, when you, who are now heirs, he's talking to you, formerly you, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Who is that? Idols. Idols. Because remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to Galatians. Galatians are not lapsed Jews or lapsed Hebrews or lapsed anything else. These are Gentiles, goyim, who have before been under idolatry. So now he's going to be talking about the law and he's also going to be talking about idolatry. And it's really important that you don't confuse those because you've got to unpack this carefully. Now here I've just gone through explaining that logic is something to be suspicious of. But having said that, you do have to figure out what he's saying and what he's talking about in each case. So now backing up. So when he says in verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What does that mean? He's not talking about Torah here, but you've got to be careful. And, and again, I'm using logic on you now. Sorry about that. He says we. So he includes himself in that statement. So he's not saying you there. He is saying we. What I am going to suggest to you that means is we who are heirs of Abraham, of which Paul is one, and he is saying the Galatians are another, and we before Abraham were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, Abraham is the first guy that developed a relationship with Yehovah, the God, our God. And then verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Right now, who did Messiah come to redeem? Israel. He says so. Right? I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. Right? So again, you've you got to sort of keep track of what he's saying here. And those people are under the law. And we talked about that last time. Because remember, the Torah, given at Sinai, which we still follow, 
and which I will continue to follow, was not what God intended to have happen at Sinai. What he intended to have happen at Sinai was for the consummation of a marriage to take place, wherein he would write his words directly on the hearts of his bride, Israel. His bride flaked out on him, so he had to write those same words on tablets of stone to remind them that the bride has a heart of stone, but the substance of what was written is no different than what he intended to speak. So what we long for is the day when we will get a second opportunity and he will, in fact, write his Torah on our hearts and he says he will do that several places, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Deuteronomy, just to name four. He says he will do that, but until that time, we got these rocks or paper or parchment or whatever they're written on that we got to schlep around because we got to learn them externally instead of having them written internally. So when he's talking about redeeming those who are under the law, what he's talking about is those people who are schlepping around the rocks. And what he wants to do now is give them the Holy Spirit, who is the guide, and bring them into a relationship with him of brotherhood to Messiah and heirship to God. And I'll, and I'll develop that more fully in just a minute. But that's where I'm going. Let's go to Hebrews. Because Hebrews talks about this extensively. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skim chapters 1 and 2, because that's where we, where we want to be. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So we're saying that we have past tense speech given by prophets, latter tense given by the Son himself. And of course, that's what we know as the Gospels. But in his last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So the Son has been appointed as the heir, Yeshua, the Son, has been appointed as the heir. So God has said to him, you are my firstborn, and as my firstborn, you are my heir. And this first two chapters deals entirely with heirship and kinship and brotherhood and all those kinds of things. And so this is the thing that he just sort of alludes to over in Galatians is developed more fully here in Hebrews. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as, as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which angel does God say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? So what he's doing now is he's going through Psalms and he is picking out messianic passages and he is demonstrating that these messianic passages apply to Yeshua. Or again, I will be to him a father, and she, he shall be to me a son. And you can go through and look these up if you want. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his mistress flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Oh, by the way, if you are of a Trinitarian persuasion, this would be a good place to underline. I happen to be of a Trinitarian persuasion. I'm, I'm not being coy with you at all. But there will be people that are messianic communities that are not Trinitarian. And 
That's fine. God bless them. I don't agree with them, but they can still come to our Midrash and they can still join us for lunch. But if you are a Trinitarian, this would be one you could underline. And, verse 10, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth at the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. This is all talking about Yeshua. Verse 13, And of which angel has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool under your feet? In other words, he's making a differentiation between the sun and the air and all the other celestial beings. In other words, there are lots and lots of celestial beings, and he doesn't want anybody to be confused. That one, Yeshua, the man, my son, is my heir. And these are the things I say about him, and I don't say the same things about angels. Even though angels are very powerful, and angels are celestial and all those kinds of things. They are not the sun and they are not the air. That's the point he's making here. Chapter 2. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What is the message that is declared by angels? It's something specific. What is it? It's the Torah. The Torah. Moses is a messenger. He's an angel. Not in the celestial, airy-fairy, artsy-fartsy, but he's a messenger. That's all an angel is. So the Torah was given by a messenger, and it is reliable. And if you don't follow the Torah, if you don't do what the Torah says, there's judgment and retribution, right? So he's saying the Torah, which is given by an angel, messenger, Moses, is reliable. And if you don't follow that, there's retribution. How much more than the revelation of the Son? It's a Jewish argument, heavy and light. Verse 10, how, then shall, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was get attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That all feels like gospel stuff. Book of Acts, Gospels, uh, and since this is New Testament stuff, I, I'm, I, it feels to me like it's referring to the events of the time when Yeshua walked on the earth and the time immediately after written in the Book of Acts. And again, if you want to move that back to the whole Tanakh, I won't argue with it very strong. The thing I want to talk about is who he is, the Son of God in the air, and what we're going to get later on in chapter 2 here is who we are in relation to him, which then takes us back to Galatians. And that's the point I want to make. I don't want to spend a lot of time chopping up things here in Hebrews. Verse 5. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Whoa, wait a minute now. Subjected what? The world to come. Again, Hebrewism, that talking about the new Jerusalem. And Paul will, or whoever wrote this will say that in a minute. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. So our subject here is the world to come, and our heirship, our inheritance, is in the world to come. And the inheritance is always property, and it's in the world to come, and that is a very Jewish Hebrew understanding of this. So again, this is, and this is the letter to the Hebrews. So he's using Hebrew idioms, and he's using Jewish ways of thought. Verse 6, it has been testified somewhere... What is man, and somewhere is Psalm 8, 
What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. So what this is, is yet future. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Yeshua, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it is fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to... All right, here we go. In bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. So what we're talking about here is Yeshua is going to declare us as brothers. And when you become a brother of the heir, again, in the Hebrew way of looking at things, you are also an heir. And the firstborn gets a double portion, and then everybody else gets something. Verse uh, 13, And again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I said the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has power, has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Now you see how we're connecting back to Galatians. Because Paul in Galatians is talking about us being heirs of Abraham. And here in Hebrews, he's talking about Yeshua being the Son of God and the Son of Man. Because remember back in Genesis 1 and 2, God gave dominion of the earth to humanity. So the whole earth is under the dominion of mankind. So in order for God to come and take possession of it, he has to come as a man because only a man can legitimately take title to the earth. So what God did then is sent his son, born of a woman, because remember, there's only one gate by which you may come into the sheepfold. And the gate is through the womb of a woman. And anybody who comes into the world by any other gate is a thief and a robber, Satan. So what Yeshua does is comes in by the proper gate to the sheepfold. He comes in born of a woman, but he is the son of the Most High God, and hence he is the heir, and hence, as a human, he has authority to take title to the earth, because title to the earth was given to man. All right, so everybody understand the argument. And then I hate to keep using Greek on you, but it's laid out very clearly once you see the two of them. So now that we understand how it is that we are brothers and heirs with Yeshua, now you can come back to Galatians, where it's talking about us as heirs of Abraham, and now it all makes sense, I hope. So now I'm back in Galatians now, and now I'm going to pick it up at verse 8. And actually, let's, let's, let's pick it up sooner than that. Verse 4, Galatians 4.4. 4. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. And, and oh, by the way, the fact that it must be a human is part of the Torah. When in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, who are you a slave to? Ah, somebody was listening. Good for you. Back to Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And I will gently submit to you that that's what he's talking about in Galatians. Thank you. Let's, all right, as long as we're doing all this, let's go over to Ephesians 1. Hold your place in Galatians. But now I'm going to read in Galatians and we're going to go to Ephesians 1. Galatians 4.6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. All right, now go over to Ephesians 1. I'm going to pick it up. Verse 13. I'm in Ephesians 1, 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what he's saying is, you do not have your inheritance yet. You are not living under the new covenant. You are not living in the new Jerusalem. You are not living in a reformed world. You are still in the same cruddy old world that you've always been in. But you've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is your marker, your claim check, your guarantee that you have an inheritance in the world to come. You don't have that inheritance in hand yet, but you got this ticket, the Holy Spirit, that says you will get it when the New Jerusalem comes down. You have a place. So do you see how Hebrews, Galatians, and Ephesians all knit together talking about the same thing? And one of the things that God loved the Christian church, but Paul was not writing theology. He was not sitting down writing a systematic theological treatise in any of his letters. He was writing pastoral letters to churches that had problems trying to straighten things out. And you sort of got to look at them all because he doesn't say the same thing the same way in all of his letters. And so you got to weave them together. And what I'm suggesting to you is Hebrews, Galatians, and Ephesians, taken all together, explains how you are an heir, how you are related to the Son, how you have a place in the world to come, and how you have a guarantee of that possession. If you read the New Testament, and you start with the New Testament, and that's where you form your theology, I will gently suggest you get lost. If, however, you start with the Torah, and you really understand the Torah, and I've been through the Torah now about 15 times, because I go through it every year, and I've been doing this for about 15 years, and every year it gets just deeper and deeper into you, then when you read Paul, what you see is the Torah talk that's going on, and you can then pull the pieces in Paul's letters together in light of the Torah. The Torah is the foundation. And that's why we go over it every year. We read the entire Torah every year out loud. And, you know, you would think that after 15 years of reading this little part of the Bible, five books, you get tired of it. But you don't. Because every time you go through it, you find, wow, I never saw that before. I never saw that that way. And what it does is it opens up Paul's letters so you don't get stuck in this Greek trap of, well, it says... This here, that must, you know, that must syllogistically be what it means. The, the entire New Testament is wonderful. 
if you come to it grounded in Torah. Then it's just, oh yeah, yeah, that's obvious. But if you come to it just naked, it, it will really confuse you. And that's, that's the whole point. People who come to the New Testament first in the Sunday church also bring to it a Greek way of thinking because that's what our culture has. That's how our culture teaches you to, to approach things. So if you come to this with a Greek way of thinking and you're reading a Hebrew document that is really commentary on the Torah and you don't understand the Torah and you don't understand how Hebrews think, I mean, there's no wonder there's, I think I read today there's 33,000 Christian denominations. Yeah, I would think was, that was in Nehemiah's newsletter. There's something like 33,000 Christian denominations. And every one of them are ready to fight to the death over what they believe, except the Unitarians who don't care about anything. All right. Let's, back, let's go back to Galatians. Let's, let's see if we can crack through some more of this now. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, idols. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. People will come to this and they will say, that means that we don't do Passover, we don't do Sukkot, we don't do Shavuot, we don't do any of the Jewish feasts because that's all Jewish junk and that's all done away with. That is not what's being talked about here. Because remember, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved but to those that by nature are not gods, idols, idol worship. And idolaters have holidays, feast days. Talk about pagan feast days, December 25th, Easter. Those are all pagan feast days. So what he's talking about here is not the observance of God's Torah and God's appointed times. What he's talking about are pagan date that they were in before. Verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Messiah Yeshua. And again, notice the use of the word angel there. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? All right, remember the context of the letter. You got these people that have come from the home office back in Jerusalem. And they've come to this church that Paul planted. And they've said, yeah, 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 it's great that you got the Holy Spirit. But you now you got to do all this other Jewish stuff. You need to be circumcised. You need to start following oral Torah, all that kind of thing. Paul is saying, wait a minute, guys. I came to you when I was sick. And during my sickness, I was a burden to you. But during my sickness, I also preached to you the gospel. And you received the gospel with great joy, even though I was a burden to you. Now... Just because these people have come from Jerusalem, have I now become your enemy? Because these people who came from Jerusalem are speaking against what Paul said. Verse 17, they, the people who came from Jerusalem, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. All right, what does this mean, shut you out? What they, first off, what they want to do is they want to become the source of all things godly to these people. And I want to go back to something Yeshua said. And I'm in Luke 11:52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. So Yeshua is talking to lawyers of the oral Torah. And he's saying that they have taken away the key of knowledge. They've locked it up. 
They prevented other people from going in, shut other people out, and they don't go in themselves. So what Paul is saying of the same people of the same mindset, verse 17, I mean, in Galatians 4, 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. In other words, they want to be as these lawyers to you, holding the key of knowledge, keeping knowledge. And, and remember when we were reading the Torah, when Jacob came to the well in the wilderness? Who had shut up the water? Who put the rock over the well? The shepherds. When Moses flew from Egypt and he met his wife Zipporah in the desert at a well again, and the well had a rock over it, who had shut up the well? shepherds again. So what he's talking about in both cases is the shepherd, the ones who are supposed to have the key of knowledge, the ones who are supposed to be teaching the flock, have sealed up the water and they ration the water out. They roll the rock away at certain times and they give out a little bit of water to the sheep and then they put the rock back. The whole thing there is they control the flow of water to the sheep. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Galatians. These guys want to shut you out They want to put a rock over the well. They want to lock the door with a key. So that you have to come to them in order to get you a little bit of God. All churches do that. Not just the Catholic Church. All of them do that. All organized religion, if it's it's left around long enough, will fall into that. Galatians 18. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom... I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Messiah is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, but I am perplexed about you. So what he's saying is, I'm yelling at you, and I really wish I didn't have to. But I regard you as my children because I planted that church, and now you are turning away from what I taught you, and you are turning back to something else, and I am worried about you as a parent, and I'm scolding you. Wish I didn't have to, but I am. I'm going to paragraph in my... Bible, so we'll quit there. Would somebody like to close in prayer? Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this study and would like to hear more, go to www.crimsonthread.com. There you'll find this study in its entirety, as well as other resources for studying the scriptures from a messianic perspective. Thank you and shalom.